Take your Bibles and turn to James chapter 5. James chapter 5. So, kids, yep, there you go. I love to share with y'all some of my, my process in, in preparing messages, just so you can see that it's, uh, at the very least, equal, uh, equally art as it is science. Um, there's just uh, some, some days I just don't know. Beginning of the week, of course, I was looking at uh, the, the readings for this past week, and I saw it was Acts, and you know, I, I preached through Acts for two years, uh, a, a year or two ago. Can't remember exactly when I ended it, maybe in 19, seems like, yeah, 2019. So I didn't want to necessarily, unless the Lord had something specific he wanted us to hear from those chapters we read this week, I didn't, didn't really want to go back to that. So I looked at James, and I read chapters 1 and 2, which is what we had to read, I think, Thursday. And I read chapters 3 and 4 that we had to read on Friday. So I, I read those chapters, and I was uh, kind of got stuck on uh, chapter 3, uh, verses 13 through 18. That's where I was going, but then I thought, let me look at next week and see what we're reading and, and see if we're going to pick up with James chapter 5 uh, and, and continue on. And I flipped, turned the page over or whatever I had to do on my reading schedule and looked, and next week it's more Acts and I think First Thessalonians, it uh, seems like. I'm like. Interesting that we're not going to have to read chapter 5 of James. So I flipped back flip my page back over, and there, as clear as day, it said for Friday, James 3 through 5. I just misread it. So uh, that makes a lot more sense that we would read all of James and not leave off that last chapter. So I went back, and this was probably Wednesday morning, uh, went back and read chapter 5 and got to verse 7. And I, my Bible, and, and if you use a, a CSB, your pro Bible probably has the same heading that mine does. It says, waiting for the Lord. And I thought, well, have mercy. And then I read the passage, and it's talking about uh, the farmer waiting for the fruit because he's planted his seed. I mean, this is the image. He's planted his seed, and now he's waiting for that to grow. And I thought, well, it's a good thing I went back and reread my, my reading schedule and read James chapter 5 because there it is, I knew instantly. So that's where we are this morning, James 5, verses 7 through 11. Your, your CSB heading is uh, Waiting for the Lord. The title of the message is Patiently Enduring. This is part of our series of uh, a growing seed, Lessons for a Church Reborn. Our theme now for this uh, past three months and now for the next two as we, in theory, leave the hurricane behind and, and what do we do? And uh, I don't know if I talked about it last week, but the song, Resurrecting, I, I chose that, I thought, randomly. I mean, I liked the song, but I chose that to be our new song for May back the beginning of April or end of March. And then we get to May, and this theme is where I felt the Lord leading. And this song about from the ashes of defeat, 
he is resurrecting us, and I thought, well, yeah, um, my plans would stink if I tried to work all this out, and then God does these things among us. Patiently enduring in James chapter 5, verses 7 through 11, but we've got to get, I'm not going to preach the whole book of James, uh, that'd take a little while, and, and, and y'all want to go eat lunch. But, but we, have to, we do need to go back to the beginning quickly and get this, this theme of James in our head. Endurance is a primary theme of James. And we can see that in chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, and verse 12. Anytime a, a letter writer introduces a topic in his first couple of sentences, then you know, all right, this is important throughout the entire letter. Verses 2 through 4, James writes to the church, Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. I started, about, I started to hang out there this morning, and that would be the message but I felt like we needed to go on. Verse 12 continues the theme. Blessed is the one who endures trials, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And as you read James this week, you had this, this principle, this overarching theme, as you read about controlling your tongue and pride and humility and favoritism and faith and works and wisdom and all of these things. And then we get to the end of James, and that's kind of what I feel like I'm doing this morning is wrapping up that reading uh, of James for us today. We get to where James says, again, wait, patiently endure, particularly endure trials and oppression. We have certainly experienced trials, and we would say that many of those trials have been oppressive. In, in particular, James's trials and oppression are talking about uh, problems in the church, issues that come up, quarreling, and, and people running their mouths, and, and those sorts of things. So it's a very practical book, it's a very theological book, and it has a word for us today here in chapter 5. Our passage this morning, with all of the, the different topics and themes that James covers throughout his letter, our passage deals with waiting patiently for God to act in our suffering and trials. And the, the way that James combines his use of the word suffering and the word patience, though he, he does use the word later on, but he, he almost... Um, uh, uh, amalgamizes, there we go, he takes those two words and, and blends them, not literally and creates a new word in Greek or anything like that, but he blends the thought of suffering and patience and gets to this idea of endurance. It's like he took patience plus suffering equals endurance. And as we work through this passage and we, we come to this idea of enduring in verse 11, we are going to look at, as we often do in the letters, whether Paul wrote them or James wrote them or someone else, we're going to look at the imperatives, the commands, those uh, 
those places where by the Holy Spirit, James says, y'all do this. It's not equivocal. It's not questioning. It is is an absolute, this is what you should do as a church. So that will be our heading, our, our bullet points this morning, the imperatives. In these five short verses, we have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight imperative verbs, eight commands. We're going to combine two of them. But let me say at the forefront that as we move through this passage, as we hear the imperative commands of Jesus, as we hear him tell us through James by the Holy Spirit to do certain things, that our ability to do anything, but in this case to patiently endure trials and oppressions apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ is impossible. We can't do it. If, if we say, okay, I'm going to take the principle of Scripture, which many people have tried to do, but reject the Jesus and the salvation of Scripture, it, it's not going to work. You can't have the principle of Jesus without the person of Jesus. We have to have that relationship with Jesus Christ, and we'll talk more about that toward the end. But James 5, 7 through 11 then, read along with me, says this. Therefore, brothers and sisters, first imperative, be patient until the Lord's coming. Second imperative, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth and is patient with it until it receives the early and the late rains. You must also be patient, third imperative, strengthen Fourth imperative, your hearts, because the Lord's coming is near. Brothers and sisters, do not complain, fifth imperative, about one another, so that you will not be judged. Look, sixth imperative, the judge stands at the door. Brothers and sisters, take, seventh imperative, take the prophets who spoke in the Lord's name as an example of suffering and patience. See, verse 11, see we count as blessed those who have endured. You have heard of Job's endurance and have seen the outcome that the Lord brought about. The Lord is compassionate and merciful. The eighth imperative being see, even though I didn't say that out loud, I thought it in my head. That's our passage, eight imperative statements. Now, we need to remember the imperatives, but let me give you some, some meat on the bones of the imperatives to, to help you remember them, to define them, to describe them as James intended here. The first imperative is to be patient in hope. He says this in verse 7. He writes to everybody in the church, Adelphoi, which in this Uh, circumstance, it would normally mean brothers, but here we know he is talking to the entire church. So uh, CSB and probably uh, some of your translations accurately translate that, brothers and sisters. Everybody, y'all, listen. Therefore, Therefore, all these things he has said beforehand, but in particular, the, uh, the beginning of chapter 5 where he talks about the warnings against the rich that oppress the poor. Therefore, endure. Therefore, know that Jesus is coming. Therefore, 
brothers and sisters, be patient in hope. Be patient in hope. Be patient until the Lord's coming. Now, if we're not careful, we will make this verse refer to Jesus coming back at the end of time. But given the way uh, James normally uses the word coming, the Lord's coming, that's probably not what he's talking about. He's not talking about Jesus coming back when everything's over. He's talking about God coming and passing judgment on those who are causing problems in the church at this time. That's the Lord that, that is coming because he says in just a few more verses, he's already at the door. It's, it's an idea of it's coming. We know it's coming because we can see it. It's, it's the hurricane sitting off the coast. We know it's coming because it's right down there. We don't know it's coming because it's still in the Atlantic and maybe it's going to go this way and, uh, or go that way. Be aware of the hurricanes coming as it leaves the Canary Islands. Is that where it comes off of, the, off of Africa? It don't, that's not the kind of coming we're talking about. It's, it's at the, the, the mouth of the Calcasieu. It's, right, it's coming. It is knocking on the door. But be patient in hope because we know and we hope for God to intervene because He will. We can have hope because God will intervene. I've told you before, as, just, uh, as recently as a couple of weeks ago, hope is not wishing. Hope is confident expectation. We hope in God's stepping in. We hope in God's intervention because He will. We have confident expectation that He will come. This passage here, this, this verse, verse 7, this first half of verse 7, the, the imperative here, be patient, is the principle of verses 7 through 11. So much so that James is going to repeat it here in verse 8 as well. He's going to tell us twice in these, three ver in these four verses, uh, five verses rather, to be patient. But to be patient in hope. We don't just have hope in the Lord's coming. We are to be, secondly, patient in faith. In the second half of verse 7, Paul, uh, James says, See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth and is patient with it until it receives the early and late rains. The imperative there is see. Look at the farmer. See how he plants the seed. See how he waits, in, in his case, for the, the rain. And in my case, it, it waits for me to remember to water it. Um, which is less uh, uh, guaranteed than God sending rains. Let me, let me tell you. But I've done okay so far. Wait. Look at the farmer. Look at how he goes out. He scatters. He puts the seeds in the ground. And then he waits. He waits for, in this case, the early rain and the late rains. He waits for the fruit of the earth. It's not going to happen overnight. He is patient in faith. 
in the case of the farmer and in the case of us. There is a dependence, a faith in the way God set things up and works them out. You don't recover from a hurricane overnight. You don't recover, a church doesn't recover from 15 to 20 years of decline overnight. There's a dependence on the way God set things up. We are patient in faith. The farmer waits for these fruits. He is patient. See how the farmer's patient? He, James didn't tell him this just to you know, analyze it and go, oh, good for the farmer. That is interesting that he did that. Isn't that nice how he... he you know, that's not what, what he's asking us to do. In seeing, we understand. In seeing, we are emulating what we see the farmer doing. And we see him wait. We see him have patience. Now, we can take this analogy even a little further. We can think about all the things the farmer does between the planting of the seed and the harvesting of the fruit, the harvesting of the grain. There's, there's weeding to be done. There's, there's fertilizing to be done. There are all these uh, small things throughout that will help the farmer get to the goal of a harvest. But ultimately... In that environment especially, if the rains didn't come at the right time, the early ones and the late ones, the crops were destroyed. He had nothing. So all of his weeding and, 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 and fertilizing and tending, all of those things would have zero effect unless God did what God was supposed to do. What God had to do, what only God could do. So the farmer planted with faith. He watched the seedlings and he watched the skies. He watched the plants grow up and he watched for clouds. And he would know pretty quickly in the process how things were going to go. But he was absolutely dependent on God. He was patient in faith. The third imperative is verse 8. You must also be patient. James just told us to be patient. Yeah, I know. I want to make sure you get this. And here's where we are combining two of the imperatives. Verse 8. You must also, also be patient, imperative. Strengthen your hearts, imperative, because the Lord's coming is near. Be patient in strength is the third imperative of verse 8. Be patient in strength. We must have a steadfast heart not turned by circumstances. If we are not patient in strength, if, if we do not take the confident expectation, the hope, that comes from our faith in God and are not strengthened by that, then we will be turned every which away by every wind and every problem that comes our way. Every issue that befalls us, every setback, every air conditioner that doesn't quite work the way it's supposed to immediately after it was uh, installed. I'm speaking purely hypothetically at this point. Every little one of those things will cause us to... to uh, to get weak need, to, uh, 
to falter, to fail, to whine, to, to wonder, is this ever going to end? So, we must strengthen ourselves, strengthen our hearts, because it's those setbacks, or those, it is our heart that those setbacks will attack. Our hearts will melt within us, Scripture would say. We will give up the, the, the fight. We will uh, decide that there's just no help or hope. There's no way we can get through this. We must have a steadfast heart. How do we have a steadfast heart? I could give you a list of maybe ways to do it, scriptures to read, prayers to pray, but let me just say this morning that you do it you have a steadfast hope, a steadfast heart because of where you place your hope, your confident expectation. I have no confident expectation in an insurance company. I have no confident expectation in an engineering firm. I have no confident expectation in a contractor for rebuilding a church. I have confident expectation that God's going to take care of everything. Similarly, when it comes to a church body being rebuilt, being replanted, producing new fruit, new growth, life from death. I have no confidence in a pastor's ideas and plans. I have no confidence in people and them doing what they are supposed to do or not supposed to do. I have no confidence in programs or money or anything like that. I have confidence that this is Jesus' church and that he is going to take care of his church. So my strength comes from hope, confident expectation in the, the one who owns this church, Jesus Christ. My faith is not in any of those people, not in any of those things. My faith is not in anything that looks like it is or isn't going well. My faith is in the Lord who said He will take care of His church. He will defend His church. He will be in charge of His church. And the very gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's where my faith is. So when I need strength, that's where I go, to my hope and my faith, my, constant, uh, my confident expectation in Jesus, and my faith that He will work things out the way He has planned them to work out. Be patient and strengthen your hearts, because the Lord's coming is near. It's near. It is, it is going to happen. As a matter of fact, as I said earlier, it's not near like the hurricane in the Atlantic. It's near like the hurricane at the mouth of the river. It's in sight. This idea of near, he's just outside the door. As a matter of fact, verse 9 is what it, it, he's going to say. He stands at the door. He's just outside. He's not even at the river anymore. He's here. It's the same idea Jesus had when he said, the kingdom of heaven is near. When he's telling the people the kingdom of heaven is near, he's not saying it's 2,000 years, 3,000 years, 10,000 years away. It's right here. It's standing at your door. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. The kingdom is near. God is near. And that should strengthen us. God has never left us. Have we ignored him at times? Even probably. 
Have we brought shame on his name at times? Absolutely. Have we failed to follow his commands and his leading? Yes. Has he ever left us? No. When we are faithless, he is faithful. Be patient in hope. Be patient in faith. Be patient in strength. Next, be patient in love. Verse 9. Brothers and sisters, do not complain, there's your imperative, about one another so that you will not be judged. And here's where we're combining two imperatives into one point. Look, the judge stands at the door. Don't complain. Look. Don't gripe. Look. See who is there. And here is where James, in these five verses, really gets to the heart of the matter. If we don't have confident expectation, if we aren't patient in hope, if we aren't patient in faith, if we aren't patient in strength, we will begin to turn on each other. It's not working today because y'all needed to amen that. Oh, well, okay. Then say it out loud. Because I believe we have seen that in our past. Every church has. When things don't go right, what do we do? Well, we blame somebody. It's got to be somebody's fault, right? A lack of patience in the midst of trials will lead to internal strife if we do not focus on hope, faith, and strength. James knew what he was doing when he said, Church, y'all, brethren and sistren, do not complain about one another. Folks, there's plenty to complain about. About each one of you. About me. We all have things we could, but James clearly says, don't. What is that going to solve, really? What's that going to do? I, I, I know, and we all do, know of numerous churches who have been through, they, they are uh, uh, serial pastor finders. They get a new pastor every 18 months to two years. Because that one didn't fix the problem. we got to run him off and get another one. That one didn't fix the problem either. we got to run him off and get another one. What's the common denominator there? They are complaining. They are blaming. And the imperative here is do not complain. Because with complaining comes judgment. Brothers and sisters, do not complain about one another so that you will not be judged. That, that be judged, if you like your grammar lessons, that's the, uh, the maybe mood of the verb. It's, it's subjunctive. It, it will happen possibly. You will be judged if you complain. But if you don't complain, if you are patient in love, if you are patient in harmony, then you will not be judged. Just to make it clear, James puts in another imperative. Look. And this is where he says, he's right outside the door. He's standing at the door waiting to come in judgment. This should put the fear of God in every church member. 
I mean, you should have already had that. But, but you should have it now again, more so. Our complaining, our inability to move patiently through trials and oppression with each other as a church family will bring about God's judgment on His church. You don't believe me? Verse 9. It's right there. But it's conditioned on either disobedience or obedience. We will be obedient to His command. Judgment will not come. If we are disobedient, it will. And this complaining, as I've implied, uh, is, is not just griping. It, it starts with a little bit of griping among a few people, but it quickly becomes quarrels and arguments and strife and gossip and lies and so many other things that will and do destroy a church. Be patient in love. And just so we get it, James now gives us two examples in verses 10 and 11. The first one he gives us in verses 10 and the first half of verse 11. Be patient in endurance. Be patient in endurance. Verse 10, brothers and sisters, take, there's your imperative, take the prophets who spoke. Consider the prophets who spoke in the Lord's name as an example of suffering and patience. See, we count as blessed those who have endured. That first part of verse 11 may go with verse 10. It may go with verse, uh, uh, the rest of verse 11. We're going to put it with verse 10 in this case, but the force of the, the imperative in verse 11 covers both parts. So be patient in endurance, first of all, as the prophets were. What happened to the prophets? Well, they were killed. Uh, they, were, they were mocked. They were lied about. They were disbelieved. So we need to understand that you, in your patience, you, in your willingness to go through this time of oppression and trials with hope and faith and strength and love, you will be ridiculed, mocked, rejected, or even fired for your patient endurance in the Lord. People will say that you're wasting your time. But understand, look at, take, consider the prophets. They stuck with God's message no matter what anybody else said. They stuck with God no matter what anybody else said. There are always those that do not have the faith that you have. And they're jealous of it. And their jealousy will boil over into doing everything they can to undermine your faith and to doubt your faith. We, we have no problem uh, believing that when it comes to someone who accepts Christ from a family of unbelievers. 
We're like, oh, sure, that happens all the time. The, the family of unbelievers mocks and belittles the, the new faith of the new believer, and it's a difficult time for that believer. We have a less, we, we have less, um, uh, we have a harder time believing that believers would mock the faith of other believers. But that is what he's talking about here. Who rejected the prophets? The people of God. They rejected the prophets. They ridiculed and mocked and killed the prophets that showed up. So the people of God absolutely can turn it on each other. It says, do not complain with one another. And then he takes it a level deeper. Take the prophets. They are an example of suffering and patience. People will turn on you because of your faith. And this, this is the most difficult part of endurance, of, of patiently enduring. Y'all, we could handle, heaven forbid, we could handle another hurricane blowing through in June. It, it would be horrible and devastating and all this stuff, but we could handle an act of God. We could handle some other issue arising that is outside of our uh, uh, Control and by 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 handle, I mean we could have the faith to to uh, uh, to confront it, to to face it head on, to work through it, to take what comes and move on. What a church cannot handle is when the attack comes from within. That kills churches, and that's the most difficult part to endure. That attack from within. I'm going to get very personal here for a second. Look around you right now. You don't even have to physically do it, but in your head, think about who's around you. More importantly, think about who isn't around you. There are people not here this morning, right now, because of the influence of others that didn't just ridicule at one time, but continue to this day to ridicule the faith that you have that God still intends great things for First Baptist Sulphur. There are people not in our church right now because they were ridiculed for believing that God was going to turn our church around. I know that because I've gotten testimony from some of y'all as recently in the last few weeks that people continue to do that right up to probably this week if some of y'all were being honest. That is the most difficult part of endurance. When friends, family, People you have known and loved for years say, your faith is wasted. Your faith is useless. They ridicule, mock, and reject your faith that God is going to do something good. That's hard. 
And that's when we go back to the hope and the faith and the strength and the love of a fellowship. That's when we obey the words of James that we're patient and we see the farmer and we are patient and we strengthen our hearts and we don't complain about one another. We look at the fact that God stands at the door and he stands at the door in possible judgment. But if we continue reading to the end of verse 11, we see he also stands in possible reward. Verse 11b, be patient in resolve. That's our last imperative. Be patient in, re in resolve. We go back to verse 11. See, we count those blessed who have endured. And James brings up Job. You've heard of Job's endurance and have seen the outcome that the Lord brought about. The Lord is compassionate and merciful. We must have the resolve to be faithful and to endure whether we understand what God is doing or not not. Let's look quickly at Job. He spends the entire book fighting with his friends who are telling them, him that his faith is misplaced, that he has done something wrong, he's a sinner, he's deserved what is coming on him, when he knows for a fact he has not done anything to deserve it. He hears that on one side, he his wife tells him to curse God and die, get it over with. Thanks, honey. And he turns around and says, God, what are you doing? What are you doing? Have you asked that question lately? The only answer he gets is, who are you, boy? I'm God, you're not, right? We got, that, we got that relationship down? Then why do you question me? And, and, and Job ends up not getting the answer to, to the why. Never gets the answer to the why. And yet... James counts him as someone who is blessed, who endured because he saw the outcome. Understand the faith that Job had. Understand it and emulate it. That means sometimes asking God, what are you doing? but always in faith. Notice that when Job thought God was being unfaithful to him, Job was faithful to God. Far be it from me to curse my God. Far be it from me to do anything that would look like sin in the presence of my God. Far be it from me to do anything but come boldly to the throne and say, God, what in the world? And James is presenting that as faith. 
Guys, God is not scared of our questions. God is not scared of our vomiting, our hurts and hang-ups, concerns and worries. As a matter of fact, He's big enough, I believe, He wants those things. He wants honesty from us. He wants to hear the struggles where we say, God, I don't get this. I don't understand. Because it's in those times all we need is the confident expectation, the hope that God will intervene because He will. Read the end of Job. Job got everything back plus. We go to God and He says, I'm not giving you an answer, but we have faith that God has set things up in a certain way, that this is life, this is the way it is, and He is going to send the early and the late rains just when we need them, not before and not after. When we go to God with our questions, our groanings, our complaining, then we're not going to each other and causing problems. We're not causing quarrels and arguments. We are being patient in love to one another. That doesn't mean that we don't talk and we don't commiserate and we don't love on each other when we're hurting. That's not what we're talking about at all. But you sitting there, and you know the difference between gossiping and sharing. Sharing hurts. Sharing pains. When we go to God with our questions, uh, with our wondering why, he, we can be patient in endurance as we look at the prophets, as we look at Job who was ridiculed, mocked, and rejected by even his wife for having faith. Do you hear that? Do you see that? you remember Job? He had faith that he had done everything he was supposed to do. And God concurred. There was no reason Job got the, what he got. There was no sinfulness in Job's life that brought about those things. It was just what God was doing at the time. And Job had patience. He had resolve. When we go to God with the questions of why and how can this be and what are you doing, we can be faithful. We can endure the trials and oppression because the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Michael, where do you get that? Well, the last part of verse 11. The Lord is compassionate and merciful. That's the God we serve. That's the God who sent the hurricane. Or allowed the hurricane. That's the God who's been aware of every strife, every concern, every person leaving our church, every person coming to our church. That's the same God. The one who is compassionate and merciful. And that's the God I want to serve. No other God. No, no God of, of, of the church, 
No, no God of finances, no God of committees, no God of preferences, but the God, Jesus, who died for the church. That cross was the ultimate compassion and mercy. You want to see compassion and mercy? Look at the cross. As I said at the beginning, all of this is nonsense without Jesus. You don't have the ability to, in, to patiently endure without Jesus Christ. You can't have the principles without the person. And this morning, you can have the person. You can admit that you're a sinner. Believe that Jesus is who he says he is and choose to follow or choose to make Jesus as your Savior. That is your choice today to do. And then you can experience life with all of its trials, with all of its oppressions, with hope and faith and love, with strength, with endurance, and with resolve, but not without that relationship. Pray with me. Father, thank you that you stand at the door waiting to both judge and or be compassionate and merciful, which, in fact, your judgment actually is compassionate and merciful. But you're there. You've never left us. And Lord, we can wait patiently on you to act. If we just will. Lord, may we hear the words of James this morning. May we hear these eight imperatives, hear these commands, and see them as life, not burdensome, but life-giving commands. Because, God, the trials and the oppressions are real, and they are constant, and they are debilitating apart from a late relationship with Jesus Christ. So this morning, Lord, if there's somebody who, who doesn't understand how they can go through these things, they've never accepted Jesus Christ. May they do that this morning, admit that they're a sinner. Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner, and I want to follow you. I want to be yours. Save me from my sins. Let me experience a life where I can patiently endure. I confess my sinfulness to you, knowing that I cannot save myself. Only you can. And I believe, Jesus, that you will if I ask you. And I'm asking you now, and I am turning my life over to you. That is simple prayer for us to be able to pray where you change our lives. Lord, for our church this morning, may we patiently endure the trials and the oppressions. May we do it as a family, a, fa a family of faith, a family of love, of hope, of strength, of endurance and resolve. God, a family who trusts that you, Jesus, love this church more than we do. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to sing a song, have a time for you to respond. Maybe there's...
something in your life you just need to give to the Lord. You, you, it, it, you need to patiently respond to some things that are going on in your life. It may be what he's doing right here in this church right now. I know that that's like my burden 100, 110% of the time. Maybe it's personal stuff that, that you are patiently trying, trying to patiently endure. But today you need hope or faith or some element of that. As we sing, let God do those things in your heart. If you would like to talk some, with somebody about how you can accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, Amy is at the back door. She would love to talk to you. There's some deacons back there that will be handing out the roses, but... You know what's more important? Somebody wanting to talk about Jesus. If you grab one of them, they'll put the roses down. They'll talk to you. Grab me afterward. Whatever God is doing on your heart, let him and listen as we stand and sing and he does business with us this morning.